Hey, welcome again to the One Together podcast. I'm Heather Maltman, and after having done some bloody weird entertainment jobs, really, I've found myself wanting something more, something deeper, something a little bit more real because let's face it, the entertainment world is full of gossip and quite a lot of trash. So, uh, yeah, this was all created in the hopes of giving you something a little bit more meaningful and a little bit deeper so that you can actually live a slightly better life. So if this is your first episode with us here, our hope is to create one consciousness by sharing our stories that have happened for us and not to us. Okay, fine. I get it. One consciousness, it can sound like a bit of a wank. So before I lose you at that one comment, I want you to stick around because these are true stories. Everything that we share on this podcast comes from a real place. All of my guests We laugh together, we cry together, we sing, and well, yeah, we do kind of talk crap a lot. But, you know, most importantly, every single guest speaks from the heart and it's all in the hopes of inspiring you. So every single week, I ask a question to the universe, to you, to myself, to everyone. It's usually something that I feel we're all asking ourselves in some way, but we haven't been able to find an answer. So I'm going to shush and ask a question and tell you about who our amazing guest is today. This week I bring you Andrew Papp, amazing man, very strong pillar in the community of the fitness industry. He works so hard running his own fitness business. He has a gym that he works out of up on the central coast here in New South Wales in the lovely country that is Australia. One of the other things that we talk about throughout this podcast is something that he's very passionate about, which is a business he started called Trek for Vets, which is actually a charity. So keep your ears peeled for that little bad boy. But I will tell you this, you need to listen out for the moment that I ask him why he came up with the quote, unless I die or I'm about to die, I'm just going to keep going. His answer to where that quote came from is just phenomenal. He's going to blow your mind. He has run across the Simpson Desert. He continues to work hard in his everyday life. He's very funny. You know what? I'm going to shut up and let's get stuck into this. The following podcast contains coarse language and makes reference to mental health conditions, including, but not limited to, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. If you or someone close to you is experiencing any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please consult the Department of Veteran Affairs website or call Beyond Blue on 1300 673 664. What drives you to continue trying new things? Like Mm. what gets you there? Mm. Because most people would just be like, I'm going to be a paramedic and then they just go and be a paramedic. Or they'd be like, I'm going to join the army and then have some children and call it a day. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, um, you know, it's... Uh, I've, I find myself wanting to be in a position of service to others. You know, if you look at all those previous things you mentioned, they're all in a, in the, in a service realm, have some sort of service capacity. And I find I get my greatest satisfaction and enjoyment from doing something that's greater than myself. Because if I was to sit in a, in a room by myself and think about myself, I'd probably drive myself mad. And, you know, I have, a, I have many demons that I can, I can live with um, when the when the focus is on other people. And if it's on other people in the capacity of helping them and using my experience um, for, the, for the good and the bad and um, you know my passion and drive to, to make someone else's life more fulfilling or just help them to get in the right direction, then that's where the magic is. And I feel like I've unlocked um, you know, this greater energy that's beyond me. You know, I'm only one person. And as you said, like all some of the things you listed there that I've done, for one person, that's a lot, but when it has an extrinsic attachment and it's driving its force from, you know, the people around you, then you, you can go on forever. I mean, there's many people uh, out there, uh, you can look in the books and, and what's currently happening, that their will and determination, it seems like it's untapped. You know, it, it doesn't have a, uh, any sort of limit. Everything I'm doing, uh, all my pursuits, you know, I love having the potential to always grow and develop. Mm-hmm. You know, have the room to make mistakes and, and you know, double down on the lessons learned and find out where else can I be of use? Um, how can I better myself to empower people around me? And I feel like my, my life experience from growing up through the different jobs and careers that I've had um, through me always being a, a thinker and um, maybe just the type of person I am, I think it's just culminating in a, a, a fun 
um, busy but fun and fulfilling sort of life. What was life like for you growing up? Because I've read a few little bits of information. But... For me, you know, I, um, I've, I'm the youngest of six. Uh, Holy crap, the six of you. Yeah, so wow. I've got my two parents um, mm-hmm. and my brother who's 12 years older than me. Yeah. And then I've got my two elder, elder sisters. And, uh, you know, I guess for me it was a, it had a different sort of narrative than most kids I grew up in a in a family because you know you think family is your rock. You know, mm. it's like it doesn't matter what happens. You've always got people to lean back on, whether it's financially, you know, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it may be. Mm. And uh, being the youngest in the family, you know, that's that's something that I was like, I thought it'd be great. You know, you can always talk to your older siblings or parents. However, my, my, my entire family has been decimated with mental illness. My, my, um, my father had his first breakdown with schizophrenia and everything when at the age of two. Like, he kidnapped me thinking that people were trying to kill me and he was oh, Jesus. Crap. Like, it was, um, and obviously I was two, I don't remember any of this, but, you know, my, my mother had to go through all this and raising the kids. And so when I started to become aware of what was happening in my environment and seeing, you know, the tragedy that mental illness can cause, um, and how, how it incapacitated all my family members and, 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 you know, socioeconomically going down the chain. Like, their parents were very successful with their own business and they were very hungry people and they turned things around for themselves from, from where they, they, they began um, to now living in housing commission and, you know, being at the bottom of the food chain in that aspect and trying to, as a young man or as a 12-year-old, trying to figure out, am I any sort of indication of my environment? You know, where, where do I drive or, or find my, my self-esteem? Like, who am I? And, um, you know, having all your friends who had this diff- completely different life and the way they looked at you and, you know, you had all these, you're going through all these things that, uh, you know, any kid would need the guidance of a, a family. But if your family are, are the, the reason why you're in this situation, not, there's no blame game. There's no, I never had a feeling of resentment or anything. It was more just, this is where I'm at. Mm. And I never, I never had the, you know, I never had anyone to talk to about it. So from a very young age, I had to start being objective about my environment, be aware of my feelings, how certain factors in my life. And uh, I've always been very sensitive to other people's feelings and how, how I make them feel and how other people make them feel. And so I've been very empathetic. And growing up in government sort of housing and having an entire suburb like that, you see the best and worst in people. It's made me realize, you know, everyone's human. I don't care where you come from. And we all have our needs and, uh, and necessities. And I just got to see like some very vulnerable people and some, some horrible things. And, you know, even with my own family with like, you know, suicide always being around and not knowing if you're going to see someone or if you're going to talk to that same person, whether they're going to be you know, different from they were yesterday and, and, and that, that tension and stress always being apparent in your life when all kids should be worrying about that age is, the, you know, people they like and, mm-hmm. and friendships in school, not this, not, not any of the weight that I had to bear. And uh, yeah, I guess not had to, having to be able to process this and self-soothe myself gave me a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of tools and methods that grew me beyond my years and, uh, you know, I've been able to harness that through, through growing up and help other people. Would you say that's where your incredible quote came from? Um, when you were talking about the Simpson Desert Run, you said, unless I die or I'm about to die, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that's like kind of where that has come from? Yeah. Well, that, um, you know, that mentality was already within myself before I went into the military and, and that sort of right. was able to manifest that out into a more practical application. Right. Mm-hmm. I had this drive within myself knowing that, um, you know, I'd do anything, um, to get where I need to go and to do the right thing. And, um, you know, in the military, I applied that very well and I was rewarded for it. And, you know, I, I really strived in that environment, but for, due to family circumstances, I didn't stay in, in any longer. I got out and, you know, I've just applied that mentality to everything that I do. And, and when I've done like that 250K desert run or 100K runs or 24 hour obstacle races or whatever I get myself involved, <laughs> it's that feeling of like at the end of the day, you know, with my family, they didn't have the choice to quit, you know, to not be able to work to not be able to normal, live a normal life and not to have their health. 
now in my life, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have that choice. So yeah. I always have the choice to say yes and no. Understanding that I have that choice is the most powerful thing it's ever realized. It's like an epiphany. And that's where I talk to everybody. I'm like, you're in a 60-minute session. Or, you know, we're doing our midnight to dawn march that we do for Trek for Vets. You, you pit people in these situations where it's so easy to, you know, take the first exit. You know, things start to get difficult. You think about all the all the reasons in your head to stop, you know. And I get, and, and, and this is and the best way to convey and, and really meet people halfway is to say, I'm not some superhuman that just is able to finish everything. Like I go through the exact same thought process as you, like how can I get out of this? I want to quit, everything's hard. Um, can I do this and all that self-doubt? But I just don't choose, I choose not to believe in it. You know, I choose to go beyond that. And wow. if it's driven from an internal, external sort of um, reasoning, and that's why you, know, you can bear a lot of suffering if you're doing it for something greater than yourself. Because if it's all about self, like I'm uncomfortable, I'm gonna stop because it's about me. But if you will put wow. one foot in front of the other, if you're like, hey, I don't care if my toenails are falling off, if I'm, <laughs> my nipples are bleeding, my from chafe, like you just got to keep going. And that's yeah. where that sort of quote derived from. I think I'm kind of learning that at the moment actually is to not listen to, I don't mean not listen to the voice inside your head that's going, don't do this. It's only going to suck and you're not going to be good at it or anything like that. But instead sort of, I believe the term these days is leaning into it. Mm. I'm allowing myself to hear it but it's not going to be my deciding factor. My deciding factor is going to come from ultimately what really matters, mm. which I guess, you know, there's been many times starting this podcast where I've been like, mm. this is so stupid. What am I doing? Mm. No one cares. No mm. one wants to hear this. Mm. And then I just remember all the times that I've either sat in a shower, crying my eyes out, needing some form of connection mm. or haven't known which way to turn or feeling like there's no podcasts that are really driven by women that, are talking to everyone and anyone who has a story. Mm. I don't feel like that really exists in our country. It's, mm -hmm. you know, women can sit in this very bitchy headspace mm -hmm. and I'm, I struggle with that in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is a bigger reason than me finding it hard or tiring or challenging or, you know, the packing up and setting up of equipment and finding people and communicating and constantly connecting in this really deep way. Yeah. You know, because to have these conversations with people, it's not. You wouldn't say it's easy. Mm. I wouldn't say it's hard either, but it's definitely a, it's a challenge because I have to be open to talking about my journey as well, yeah. which, yeah. you know, a lot of people would look at and think, why would you do that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you talk about that sort of decision to either listen to it or not. But I guess my way has been to sort of let it be there and really lean into it. I don't know if that just made sense. It does, it does. No, you're does right, it? Heather, because... Uh, you've got two extremes, right? You'll have mm -hmm. the people that will hear that doubt and, and fear and they'll be captivated by it, right? They don't make any decision. Uh, if they make decisions that are not good for them or, you know, uh, that contradict where they want to be. And then the other extreme is what you'll see a lot on social media being peppered in the fact that my life's perfect, everything's positive, wonderful. If you, you know, fuck excuses, just go and reach for the stars. You know, you can do anything you want, quit your job and follow your passion. And uh, those two extremes, you know, any extreme is never a good thing. You know, running mm. 200 kilometers is not good for your body. Uh, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's not a healthy pursuit. Yeah. There's things, there's things from it that can be, be good, be good. But going back to that scenario about listening to yourself, like uh, one of my biggest things I think is being able to be aware. There's awareness is and being introspective and being objective in a subjective environment is uh, one of the greatest tools to learn because you understand how different things in your life affect you and, uh, and are they creating friction from you being the person you want to be or the direction you want to go. And I don't believe in excuses, right? I, I mean that in the fitness industry and I'm at the pointy edge of pushing yourself and, and all these things where... People could imagine me saying, fuck, excuses, excuses are for the weak, right? That could probably fit my brand somewhere. But however, I know that I, instead of seeing them as excuses, I see them as factors. You know, if you're afraid to do something, if, there, if you're, you've got a, a, a job that takes a lot of your time, you've got kids, you've got these external relationships, you've got, you know, the, the geographic location of where you work or live, if that's creating friction to what you want to do, then they're real things. Right? They're not excuses. Because a lot of people come up to me and go, Andrew, 
how do I get motivated? I've just got so they're all, I guess they're all just all excuses. You know, this is the reason why I don't do these things, but they're all excuses. I'm like, no, these are real things stopping you from, you know, being able to follow a path that you want to get to. So how do you navigate around those? So recognize what it is. How is it apprehending you from being where you want to go? And how does it make you feel, the people around you? And what are the best course of actions in the long, sustainable interim to get there? Yeah, you know, I'm not saying, okay, you've recognized it. Now just flick a switch. It's, it's hence my, my online program, Everyday365. It's called that because it's an everyday and it's a 365 day like onward approach. If you, it's like being submerged underwater and you don't know which way is up right? You, that can be a very hairy situation quite quickly if you're going in the wrong direction and you're looking for oxygen. So at least if you know, if you're going the right direction, yeah. you're going to get there. No matter how much, how freaked out you are, you know, how long it takes, you'll, you're going to find some oxygen. So it's, it's really about getting the changing from within to, to, to go the right direction and pursuing that. And it can be one step at a time. And you know, what might be a great feat for you might be you know, nothing to somebody else. You're not walking someone else's journey. This is your thing. You know, maybe for someone to be able to pack their bag the night before waking up or just stepping outside to, to do something is just as equivalent to running seven days in the desert or climbing whatever, whatever mountain, you know. Like, make it individual. You know, I feel that Australia's uh, culture is very tall, that tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. If someone's succeeding, the general public could see that as them thinking they're better than somebody. And that's a very tricky line to follow that if you're going to go down a road where you're differentiating yourself from the general, how you portray that and how you convey that to other people is going to be just as important as you getting that. Because if you get somebody successfully and then you talk to the majority and you want to sort of share something or convey how you got there or what they can do to inform them, to, to help themselves, if they think you're a dick, <laughs> then everything, all the hard work you've done is invalid. Because what, you've yeah. done it for yourself? Well... You can live on your own life and, and find how pleasing and satisfying it is to have no significant relationships or feel like you have any purpose beyond yourself. Because that's, you talk to many people who are in that position. They're like, I feel alone and isolated, even though, you know, by perception, I have the world at my feet. So I guess in, in looking at curating your own social media, as insignificant, insignificant as that may seem, you know, I've learned over the years on how do I talk to people. I care about how I make other people feel. It's important to me, not because I want them to like me, but I want to be knowing that every action I'm taking is building somebody else up. And I know that if I'm going to help someone else, it's going to create an, an awesome ecosystem and foster an environment that we're both going to strive in, right? So how to talk to people. So even in the military, I wasn't there for very long, but I was operating with men who were there for a long time. And if I was put in a leadership position, how do I talk to someone who has all these years of experience over me without sounding condescending? So that's, that's a way of needing to know how to communicate within a team environment in that sense. How to train people from all different backgrounds. You know, someone who's a CEO of a very successful business to someone who's just beginning or a student from a school. You've got to understand how to navigate through these conversations to get the most from people. And that's what I've always strived to do. I don't ever want it to, people to think that I'm ever talking down to them or to them in the sense of, I've got my life squared away. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to do to get yours. So it's always, this is the situation I'm in or I've been in. These are the factors that I had to face and how I got around it was this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Maybe this might help you. And it's been received much more I think openly than what I've seen other people try to do on their socials because, you know, as you, as you know, you know, the public's very savvy now. I mean, even adver advertisements have to be very smart. In we how know they, when we're being sold to. Exactly, right? 100%. So we know when we're being sold bullshit. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to be really genuine on my social media because genuine mm -hmm. sells or genuine works. People can see straight through that if you're not being really genuine. Yeah. You're right. And um, so our radar for that's really good. So if it's not coming from the a right place or uh, the, the the decent place, then you're gonna get crickets. You're gonna get, and you're also gonna get smashed for it. As and well. You're gonna get smashed for it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, when I did Bachelor, the, a lot of people always ask me, "How did you get out of it so successfully?" Because, mm. and I get a lot of young girls message me and DM me about it, like oh, you turned Bachelor into a career. Like, how did you do it? How did you do it? I've not really spoken about it publicly before, but seeing as you brought up the whole honesty thing, the truth is I didn't go on there to get a career. Mm. I didn't go on there to get famous. I was mm. genuinely there 
to meet a dude and fall in love and have the babies and get married and do all that shit yeah, yeah. because I genuinely didn't have time in my everyday life. Mm. I was freelancing for Disney. I was working full-time learning how to do budgeting, so I'd gotten mm. myself a job as um, a finance manager. Oh, wow. So the possibility of even finding a guy to be with was really difficult and I really wasn't putting myself out there. Mm. So when I went on it, I really was like, all right, if I like this guy, I'm going to stick around. But mm. if I get there and he's a shit heap, I'm going to bail. Sure. And when I got there and I saw Sam, I was like, I like this guy. Mm. I'm, I'm going to stick around. And I was genuine in my reasons for being there. And it was funny because pretty much every girl, except for maybe two or three, mm. were literally there to get famous, to start some kind of business. And mm. I was like, you are kidding yourself. Like, this show has not been popular before. Like, mm. our season ended up being popular. We got lucky. But I was like, no one's really done anything mm. after doing this show. Like, if you wanted to get famous, you've gone the wrong way about it. Mm. And all of them now, all those girls that wanted a career, none of them are doing anything now. Mm. And that just seems to be the common trend. It's like you can see it a mile away when someone's gone on a reality show mm. just for fame. Mm. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And if your goal is to become, you know, this famous thing, you know, like the Kardashians, for example, it's going to fail every time. You've got to be wanting to do it for a bigger reason. Like if you look at Kris Jenner who runs the Kardashian clan, the, the mummager, so to speak, this is a woman who wants to provide for her family. Mm. You know, if you really look at the reasons behind she's doing it, mm. she's she wants to provide and she wants to be in a position where her family will never go wanting again. Yeah. That's a pretty big reason to fight for something. Mm. And she's going to do anything to get that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people look at it and think, oh, they're just famous because they want to be famous. And it's like, no, 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 they're famous because Kris Jenner refuses to fail. Mm. She refuses to fail because, like you said, she's got a reason that's bigger than herself. Yeah. So if you're going on these reality shows or, you know, using your social media to drive an agenda that yeah. is just fame or followers, yeah. it's not going to work for you in the end. In the end, it will blow up or it will become very shallow, like, you know, a lot of the let's get naked and take mm -hmm. photos of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like dude, you should really check who's following you when you're doing that stuff because it's kind of creepy. Yeah, well, um, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying uh, in terms of, you know, you'll have your percentage of people going onto these reality shows for the right reasons or for the reasons that the show is, you know, meant to be geared towards. But, mm. you know, you look at the producers and what they want from it, mm -hmm. they don't want everyone that was in the same headspace as you. They yeah. want people who are, you know, going in there for those particular reasons and, that's the system it, it's feeding and, and that's what the public want, right? The public, if they want a love story, they'd watch a love movie, mm -hmm. right? If they want to see how do people operate in these extreme ex conditions, conditions the that yeah. you, you wouldn't find yourself in like, as the everyday person like myself or whoever else is watching on, t on the couch mm -hmm. um, because we're all we're that type of being, of, you know, we're, we're social beings. And it, we're seeing like these little tests that are happening on TV and we get to witness what's going on and we get to put our own thoughts and our own upbringing and, and everything onto these on these situations. Like, oh, I can't believe he or she did that. And, you know, it's, it's easy to obviously say all that when you're not in the situation. But I think these, these girls or these guys who are going on there for that reason uh, to, to, to find some fame or notoriety or something... You can't blame them because it works for some. You know, True. some people are getting, you know, the notoriety. They're getting some money out of it. They're getting some sort of fame, whether it to be brief or whatever. It, it beats potentially what they had before, hence why they've, they've done this. And it doesn't matter what motivation or intention they've that it's spawned from. If there's mm. success out of the other side, you're not teaching anyone. And, you know, other people are going to look at that, what they've achieved and, and pursue the same thing. So it's just creating this cycle that, you know, the only way it's going to be stopped is if the network's cut the shows but the shows are, are performing really well so which i guess goes into that whole thing of clearly people are watching it because they want to see it so of course so that's the biggest talk right like maths like oh. I, and i don't even have uh unfortunately uh, we don't have that reception for channel nine where we live for mm. some reason every other channel works so we've missed out wow. we're not having obviously downloaded it digitally or whatever but um you know we're just hearing everyone talk about it and yeah. you know i'm not saying that i'm perfect because i've seen it and you just get it in like 
enthralled in what's going on. Like it uh, challenges everyone's ideas and ethics and morals, and and that's what makes it so intriguing. To see mm. all these dynamics at play, and you get to observe like a fly on the wall, and there's no repercussion on you. You get to watch all this stuff unfold. Um, you know, without any getting any flack. But I guess if you were to find yourself in any situation similar to this, you're in, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, just quickly, you've actually been on a reality show yourself. What is it called? Oh yeah, Search for Hurt. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Was that in Australia? Yes. Yeah, it's on uh, ESPN. And ah, okay. Yeah. The sports channel. Yes, yeah, sports channel. I don't channel. understand sport. Yeah, right. I'm afraid of you know if anyone throws me a ball, especially mm. netball or something. I'm mm. like not here if you need. Not here if you need. Terrified. No, no. Well, like, look. To be honest, I'm not the most coordinated. Like, I, I, I was never thrown into sports as a as a child. Really? Yeah. So I was always active. Yeah. Um, and I loved that, but I never really had the opportunity to join team sports. And, oh, and same. Yeah. You, know, you know, my eldest brother and sister, they were like, you know, one year apart. Um, they got all all that treatment and they did everything. But by the time it came around to my sister and I who are only two years apart and we're much younger. Um, my parents were just, you know, obviously a lot of mental illness and, and mm. finances and it was just a, not, not a very good cocktail to, to promote yeah. that type of stuff. So I surfed, I skated, I did all the things that were free. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was just me. I was kind of, it's funny, like I ended up, um, I made do with what we had by finding a horse farm down the road. Yeah, right. And I went down there and uh, kudos to my mom, actually. She helped me go down there because I never used to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I hated speaking. Mm-hmm. And that was, it's funny, like my mother has mental illness as well. Mm. She's got schizophrenia mm. or a version of it. Anyway, she actually helped me talk to the guy. And in the end, I became like a polo strapper. So I worked with cool. horses and like, that was my way of being active and getting myself out there. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am today at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Completely changed my life. So in saying that, speaking of like life-changing moments, just trying to piece together how your life has gone, which has sounded, it's just... Yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, your father had mental illness. Yes. I'm guessing your mother... She has her own neurotic sort of tendencies and she has emphysema now and she was adopted, (gasps) so that came up with all those sort of rejection uh, issues and stuff like that. So it was a a very... I love my family, but Mm -hmm. it was a very... uh, Tumultuous kind of... Yeah, very complicated situation. So that's where I felt as like a black sheep where I was kind of had to figure out how that all affects me and where I was and... You know, they were there for me for the everyday things, but for, I think, just the normal, it, w- it wasn't apparent. So so then um, from what you were saying about your older siblings, does that mean that your parents were kind of well enough for the early years of their lives? Mm, precisely. And it was kind of like as time progressed and they had more children and obviously stress kind of gets on top of you. Like I've started to realize that having children is a very stressful life choice. Yeah. Like you yeah. start to realize that's a big commitment that you're making there. So it's like, was it kind of a, a factor where it was like as pressure sort of loaded on them and you were saying they were running their own business? So originally they ran their own business. Times yeah. were tough for the economy. The banks oh, came okay. asking for money. Okay, I get you now. My father had a, a mental breakdown when I was two. They lost the business, lost okay. the house, and then it was all gotcha. just downhill from there because mm. other siblings got sick mm. and then other circumstances happened and it was just a, a big stress ball yeah you know, just unrelentless unre- sort of uh, path of like destruction and and uh, just really sad narrative circumstances that yeah. couldn't be helped by anyone did you ever go through the phase of i could end up crazy like my parents yeah, so that's where when I was talking about, um, you know, one of those deeper motivations, those that, that gearing of the fact that they never had a choice in the matter of when they got sick, you know, it just yep. came about. Um, and to me, I had that choice. So it wasn't that I was operating uh, out of fear, thinking mm-hmm. maybe tomorrow I might wake up and I won't be able to trust my own thoughts or I'll be in a, you know, mental asylum or something. It was it was the fact that I was a pr- grateful, uh, had that that uh, sense of peace and knowing that, hey, today is a, is a day that I have where I make my own choices. And mm. um, it was really empowering. As much darkness and sad shit that was happening in my life, being able to somehow, I don't know, don't know what wisdom I got from who, but somehow that's where I started to see things. And I really started taking advantage of that fact. And um, that's where I was able to pull away with a lot of positives rather than just go in the other direction, which would have been easy. You know, mm. I was surrounded by kids in a bad neighborhood who were helpless themselves and um, they, they had no direction, no support. And it could have been easy to go down that path. But I guess I had, I had high self-esteem. I, my, my, my family still loved me and, you know, they wanted the best for me. And, and so when I was mistreated or 
came to a situation where I was like, hey, I, I deserve more than this. You know, I, I made that choice. And, you know, I guess one of those like, big moments for me was, yeah, with that search for her television show, you know, the, we had to do a tryout. And, it was, and the only, only reason that came around was because I started that boot camp. So I was sleeping on my sister's couch. I decided not to go ahead with the paramedics. I'm like, I'm going to chase this, you know, dream of being, wanting to be in the industry, the fitness industry, start my own boot camp that, you know, stems off my time in the military and my experience and how I want people to be nurtured in that environment. And so that was a, that was, you know, a, a tough time itself. The only reason that started was because five, uh, two of my army mates loaned me $5,000 each to, to buy some shitty equipment, get a creepy white van, buy my, <laughs> buy my, um, the old lollipop van. Oh yeah, the old children's van. <laughs> so, um, buy, uh, you know, my, my qualifications, my certificates and get the licensing wow. from the council. So that's where my 10 grand went straight away. Mm-hmm. And I started this business, you know, with like 40 or 50 people from the get go, um, you know, maybe 20 or 30 of them paid up front. The other one were just week to week, just navigating that. And it just the second season, second 10 week block, this guy approached me. He was a, one of my clients. He said, Hey, I'm, I'm filming this show called search for hurt. We're on the second series. And I think you'd be great. Could you put your uh, audition in? And I had no idea what it was about. Yeah. And so I did this video audition that was kind of not really on par with what they were asking for, but they saw something. And so I made it between myself five five other gentlemen and six females we had to go into a gym and it was it was all filmed obviously and it was like a test trial like only one male one female would be chosen and we had to go through 24 hours of just absolute hell it was it was um 21 kilometer row on the rowing machine 100 kilometers on the the bike and 42 k's on the treadmill and so what would happen you do half an hour at each apparatus you finish nine and a half hours and then you go 100 box jump burpees for time Half an hour, Shit. half an hour, half an hour, beep test. Half an hour, half an hour, half an hour. You know, some weighted like That's... strength activity. You just keep going oh my God. until all, all this stuff was done. And and it's not. It gets worse because whoever you know rows the most meters in thirty in in the thirty minutes will get a kilometer off their run. And whoever burns the most calories on the bike will get five hundred meters off the rowing machine. So there's always a carrot to chase. So the intensity never stopped. Mm. And these guys that I was pitted against were just. Fit, like Ironman, obstacle racing, like legends, they were all in that space of endurance. And this was my first sort of pursuit. I was first sort of open to this endurance world. Um, and so I won a few of the strength things, power stuff, but the endurance stuff, I, I was suffering. And there was a moment where I had five kilometers left on the on the rower machine and I literally couldn't bend my knees anymore because I was just start cramping. And they're like, get off the rower, we'll, we'll stretch you out. And I was like, I'm not getting off this rower. So I was just doing back extensions. So I was just using my arms and back to finish it. I, 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 I remember, you know, talking about turning points in your life. I remember being on the, the treadmill and I was running next to a gentleman called Lockie Dancy. He's like one of the fittest guys I know. And uh, he was running on the treadmill. I'm running on the treadmill. And uh, I just thought, I've just got to keep going. Like, I, I, as much as everything was telling me to stop, like, this could make the difference from me being where I am right now to wherever the possibilities might lay. And um, that's what it was. It was that mental grit. They, they, I got into the show because I had the heart for it. And, uh, you know, I suffered, but I had the heart to keep moving. And um, like, that, like, like that quote said, you know, I wasn't going to stop until I died. And, and that was prevalent through the entire series of me doing all these, you know, ultra endurance feats, being a non-ultra endurance person. Uh, with little experience in that field. And uh, it, look, it made me the person I am today and it got me all these opportunities to, to um, you know, elevate my my status in, in the fitness world and in that, and whoever watched it, uh, opened my doors, opened the doors to get uh, sponsors and, and try other things. And, and that was just sort of a, with the right attitude and capitalizing on what I had there. I, I was still running a business at the time. I was still dealing with a lot of shit at home, all that stuff. I didn't stop, but um, it was something I was really grateful for. Hey, this is a quick break. It'll only take a minute to tell you who has actually helped get this podcast into your ears today. If you're anything like me, you are super mental health conscious, right? And therefore, you're maybe not a big drinker. I don't take drugs and I barely even touch Panadol if I can help it. So for the last few years, I've not been able to drink. So as soon as I have a glass of wine, I actually get these horrific migraines that are so bad. I feel like my brains are exploding. It's like... (laughs) 
Actually, that was a pretty good sound effect. I'm proud of that. Basically, I found these guys called Body Armor. And no joke, this stuff was probably made by Garden Pixies or scientists. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Actually, it is listed with the ARTG and pregnant women take it for nausea. Get it from bodyarmor.com.au or use their store locator online. Basically, you drink it before you drank it and it protects your liver. So get around that. I sounded so popular just now. Boom. Just get it. It's good stuff. The One Together podcast makes sure that everything that we endorse is something that we actually believe in. So after those awesome messages, how about we get back into the chat? Do you still have to help your parents out in a lot of ways as well? It's, uh, you have, you know, the obligation of family. You know, you are family and you love each other and stuff like that. And I've always been there for them, whether it's financially or it's just uh, being their emotional support or anything like that. But, um, you know, I've always been the true believer of that you choose your family. You know, family's not bound by blood. And um, because, you know, like I said, depending on what culture and social climate you're in, some people will pull themselves to pieces to try to put people together to try to change people. And, you know, some of our relationships are really toxic. And, um, you know, this is where boundaries come involved. So I always talk about, you know, three pillars in everyone's life and and they're operated through uh, through relationships. So you have, you know, your relationship with oneself, your relationship with other people and your relationship with your environment. And they're all intricately connected. You can imagine like a triangle of pillars. If one collapses or there's, there's problems or cracks in others, it's all going to put more stress on other pillars or it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obviously multifaceted, but you can you know if someone was treating you like shit, you're like, I don't need to be friends with this person. I cut them off. Like Everyone has certain boundaries that they're willing to sort of put their to put the line in the sand. And it gets a little bit trickier when you start to think of you know, your significant other or your family, like, oh, your fa- even though maybe I get treated like shit or it's these crazy circumstances, they're family. So those lines are blurred, but mm-hmm. you have to know like they're still people and you are still you. Mm-hmm. And if you continue down this path, is it going to jeopardize these other pillars, jeopardize your own self-esteem, your insecurities? You're like, are you putting too much energy into something that's not giving you anything back? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the lines really blur when it's yourself because, Maybe if you're really true, some of the things you say about yourself every single day, someone else was saying it to you, you'd throw them off a balcony. You're like, <laughs> I can't live under this, this stress. Yeah. Right? But, but because it's ourself and we're not mm-hmm. thinking that, we're just thinking, oh, you know what? Like, I'm an idiot or I've got no value to add anyone or I look like this or you know, whatever it may be. Like, fill in the blank. Mm. You, say, you say that to yourself enough. You, you tend to believe it and that affects, that affects your external relationships. It affects your environment and what choices you make. And again, social media is um, an accessory to this. It's an amazing tool, but it's a tool for destruction or a tool for you know communication and development. And if you already have some obscure relationship with yourself that's toxic, uh, and you, then you put on top of that what you're feeding yourself every single day, multiple times a day, that you know these people are perfect, everything's perfect, and you're the only one that has shit in your life or it's exacerbating your insecurities. Like, mm. what are you doing? And some people aren't aware of this, and all of a sudden they're like, doctor, like I. I have these bad thoughts, or I'm down, I've got no energy, I'm depressed. I don't know and where it's coming from. Yeah, I don't know where it's coming from. So, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just taking pills, if you were fortunate enough to have the support network or the understanding, the information to be like, hey, hold on, let's look at a few other things in your life that's mm-hmm. causing this stress. And you can't change it overnight, but be aware of it and then hopefully you can navigate through it. Do you still have moments, I guess, in your life where your brain takes over and tries to challenge your ways of thinking and being and acting like you're thinking to yourself yeah I do all that but then I still fall off every now and again and it gets too much and it gets overwhelming what's your thing well one of the great things about ultra endurance races right you're Mm -hmm. you're in your own headspace for hours days how long you put yourself through it and the, the key component one of the major components in going to anything like that is understand that there is highs and lows but if you go on then preempting the lows, when the lows come, like you said, you can almost have this you know, external viewpoint. You're going, okay, this is just a low. You know the protocols. What are the best actions to take when you're feeling lethargic, when shit's not going your way? What are some of the things we like to think about during this time to you know, try to get out of this hole? And that's, what the, that's how these events transcend into your everyday life. It's like, I'm in a low. There's hardship whether it's from people, you got fired, you're just going through a shitty day, whatever it may be, you've injured, whatever it may be, 
this is life. This is a long race. This is not just, you know, the gratification of getting things instantaneously, which is what we've been brought up with. Yeah, totally. For better and worse. Um, and so how to, how to manage that the best. And that's what you said. Your version was like, I know this is just temporary, right? Mm. I've just got to outlast it. And that's a great way to get through it too. But to also preempt not exactly when it's going to happen, that knowing it's going to happen, you can always know that it's not going to last forever. And, you know, what are good things in your life that you are generally happy for and fortunate about? And, you know, you know that the good comes with the bad and to ever put yourself in, Again, social media, right? This is where it's, it's, it steals people's um, understanding of what, what life really is because we see these glamorous people living uh, these amazing lives and like, what the fuck is my life shit? Like, everyone else I follow has perfect lives. I either want to look like them, do what they're doing and be happy all the time. Some of these people are like the most miserable people, people that I know. So true. You know, because, and, and it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. It's because they feel like they have to put this show on and they have the, the you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, you know, on their case. Like, and, and they've got this expectation and obligation to be, and like, can you even feel what you're feeling or is it just mm-hmm. all a show? And they, in a, that line between reality and what happens online, it gets so blurred that you lose yourself. And from touching up your photos, changing them, yeah. from, you know, saying shit you've done that you didn't do, if you begin to lose that sense of reality on yourself, then you're not only losing, uh, I guess, that relationship, but you're also you're pushing the audience away as well because mm. they, they can't relate to you. Within myself, I don't know if I will ever fully understand social media mm. um, because I don't know how to grasp it. I, I don't know when I'm posting something that is honest and genuine and putting an idea out there and you know, trying to be supportive and when it's apparently an overshare and not helping people or something, I don't mm. know. Like, does that make sense? It's like, mm. I find social media to be this beast that I just do not get. Yeah. I mean, at all. absolutely. And look, it's, it becomes a little bit, if you're looking at creating any sort of business out of it, you know, if you're looking at building these relationships with brands that will pay you to have a long-standing relationship or just a one-off post and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know besides having to to be able to navigate okay you know be able to discern what's good for your brand what's not on not sync with your brand you know what the audience are going to respond well to uh, are you jeopardizing certain ethics and morals by linking or associating yourself with certain things um because it's, it's beyond yourself now like you've got an entire audience to sort of uh you know objectify yourself to to a degree and you know, like you said, if you can't be honest with how you're feeling and well, what are you doing, right? It's all just a shop front. And, and that happens for many people. Like a lot of people are jumping on board with brands that they have no idea what it is or they hate alcohol, but they're selling alcohol on their brand or what, you know, fill in the blank again. But I think, you know, one of the, the best ways I've answered a lot of people's questions in regards to what do I do if my <laughs> posts aren't getting the engagement they want? Yeah. You, know, you know, I feel really down and upset if I only get X amount of likes or comments or something, right? Mm. And I think the number one thing for me is you've got to keep putting, you got to stay consistent with your content and you've got to put that content up because you believe in it, right? Yeah. If whether it gets a million likes or one like, you're still proud of it because it came from you. And when you start to try to appease the audience and the trends and you start to, you're not consistent anymore, you're going with the trend and you're, you're chasing something, it's when you start to lose your way and you start to, you know, you need that external val- validation from other people. Mm. And when you don't get it, it destroys you because you're not even trying to figure out who you are or know who you are. And, and eventually from A to Z, like by the time you've made that journey, you've, you're someone completely different. What marries with these trends is a lot of success whether that's to you know show a lot of skin for a male or female, whether it's to go with certain political views or whatever it may be, you can get money, you can get notoriety, you can get all, all these opportunities. So people are more inclined to bend to the will of these trends rather than be true to themselves. And like I said, these people who have all this notoriety, sometimes the most miserable people you know because they've never been consistent with themselves or try mm-hmm. to pursue what am I trying to share. I find it interesting that we are following the lead on how to use our social media based on someone who didn't know how to socialize in everyday life. You know, social media was literally created by Mark Zuckerberg, a man Mm. that, you know, based on his movie, if his movie is anything like what he was really like Mm. in real life, Mm. 
was a young man who was incredibly intelligent mm. but had no social skills potentially. Mm. And when he dated women, he didn't know how to interact with them on a more emotional level. And as a result, uh, it left him, you know, without connection and doing things that he wouldn't otherwise do and putting him on blast on social media and leaving heartbreak in his wake, you know, and, and potentially taking ideas from other people, which, you know, we don't know if he really did, who did or whatever. That stuff aside, isn't it interesting that that's the person that we're taking the lead on and you can see it filtering down through the channels of, you know, from the person who's running it to the people who are behind the scenes to the people who have signed up mm. to the people that you follow. Yeah, You know, it's this trend of... What you're doing in social media is not what you would do in everyday life. Yeah. The way we talk to each other on social media, we wouldn't talk that way to each other face to face. It would be a very different conversation. I think the the guys who had the intelligence and the know how to make these platforms were just doing it from like any sort of young young lab would be. He's like, I want to meet girls, you know. Whether <laughs> yeah. any, you know, if you if he's deemed to be a nerd because he has the, the he's tech savvy and mm. maybe he doesn't have the the uh, the physicality of a jock, maybe the, the the attraction that initially ignites some sort of spark at the beginning. He's mm. like, this is a great platform to link girls to to meet me. I mean, we're we're in this experiment at the moment of online mixing with reality, it's augmented reality, and like you said, we're still trying to find ourselves. Like, what's ethical? What's not? Like, what can people be? What can people get away with? Like. Um, between like freedom of speech or hate speech or you know where do we draw the line and how do we draw the line just on on our own personal level like what are we willing to watch and see all the time and expose ourselves to to what are we willing to how we're willing to interact with others Mm -hmm. and that's where i always talk about it it's a tool for good and bad and it's really about like life you can go down two paths and so can you do it with social media. It's just it's more in your face and you have, you know, uh, access to the entire world. So you have an immense amount of goodness and you have an immense amount of destructive content on there. Um, so what are you going to invest in? You know, which, which dog are you going to feed? And whatever dog gets the most food is the one that's going to win every time. How do you find the mental health arena in Australia? Because I've got... A parent that obviously I still to this day look after. My experience has been one that's been very tumultuous with the Australian government in mm. trying to get her help mm. because she falls within the crack of she's not well enough to be on her own. She's not because mm. she'll have another episode and she'll go missing. And the most recent one she was missing for like three years to the point where she doesn't even know I'm her child anymore. Mm. Or I've got her help, but then she starts to get better and they want to take her, you know, they want to give her a less dosage of medication, but then a less dosage of medication means that she relapses. So it's like she's stuck between this really shitty rock and a Mm. hard place. And Mm. as the child of the person who's unwell Mm. and not having, you know, another parent to sort of help me with her, Mm. it's just kind of me. Yeah. And I wonder how much support you felt you've had or how your family has felt supported by the Australian government in in helping mm. your dad, I guess, or anyone else in your family that's mm. suffered from mental illness? Uh, yeah, look, at the end of the day, first and foremost, I think very lucky to be in this country that even takes those people into consideration, True. right? For 100%. sure. 100%. For sure. We're very lucky in that. Yeah. You have, a real, you have a real issue and someone's like, yeah, but you got food on the table and you're like, like what the bitch, f- like, <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, this is something I'm facing. I get that, but... You know, you told me a very heartfelt story and I just went straight to, but we're so fortunate to be in this country. You're like, yeah, but mate, that's not solving the problem. Like I'm still dealing with this issue. So I just want to preface this next, this next answer with that because I, this is where I find, especially in the fitness industry, everyone's like, it's, you've got to be upbeat all the time. Like if there's a problem, see the silver lining and all this stuff, like everyone's a little bit too positive, but over the top. And, um, I think, I think there needs to be more of like, it's okay not to be okay. Let's talk it through what's, you know, all that stuff. So there's much better ways that all this can be handled. And I think, Mm. you know, it'd be so easy for my father or any of my family members and your mother to go homeless, right. Mm -hmm. And just be off medications and going down whatever path it may be. Which is what most homeless people are dealing with. Absolutely. Most homeless people have, have actually got mental illness. They're not like 
drug addicts that are like, I like living on the streets. Yeah, so yeah, you, absolutely. You can get that idea out of your head when you walk past a homeless person thinking right. they want to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they put themselves like, there. No, There's opportunity. An idea that the government sold you so that you didn't feel bad not helping them. Yeah, That's yeah. That's all that is. Yeah, so... Uh, look, there's like even like returning veterans. Like there are there are things in place to help people, but sometimes to get there is such a fucking you know maze that you need a PhD to get it. Uh, and especially yeah. if, like you're dealing with people who are unwell. Like people, these people who are unwell don't have the capacity to, to get, know how to, to ask to, to navigate through them. Yeah. And there's been many times in my family that they try to get them back into work. Or they try to, you know, or you have to, you know, meet these quotas to be mm. classified as someone on a disabled support pension. You know, it is a minority of the population. And if you were to say, we're going to help people with mental illness, it's not, it may not get you the win in what you need to be in, in the hot seat, right? Unfortunately. Because my view is because maybe how I've been, my, my upbringing from, you know, the, the lowest in socioeconomical sort of state and, and the mental health and all that stuff. I want to be a, a man of the people and I want to say, hey, look, if you're doing really well for yourself, you've got your health and you're making money, it's like I want to tax everybody. But I'm going to say, like, let's find a way where we're wasting money and look after, we're a developed country, look after the most fragile people in our lives, where it's the disabled, mental, you know, women who are stuck in violent, top bad situations, homeless people, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure there's a lot, like there's an environment, there's business, there's economy, there's all these other facets that need a lot smarter people than me to sort of find a way to make this work. But I just feel like those, those people, the, the bottom end of the scale in terms of just not, maybe not being able to help themselves and need the extra cushioning, we as a society should be proud that we have the capacity to look after these people rather that they're doll bludgers, they're, they're, they're sucking money from the government and it's my tax money and stuff like that. And I'm not saying people can't feel that feeling, but I want to change the perception of going, hey, we're in a position where we can help. So let's find the best ways to help these people. Because I know that if I was to help someone face to face, you know, give someone money, get them some whatever it is, you have that, that feeling that you get is amazing. Mm-hmm. But because we don't have direct contact with this, these people in these unfortunate circumstances, it's so easy for us to not see what good it's doing and be told that, well, this money's being wasted. What about your kids in school? Or what about this and that? And you're like, yeah, fuck those people. They're, it's their problem. And it's the choices they made that they're there. And that's why it's all so blurred. And people don't know which way is up and down with it. Really, no one's being told because... Like I said, to be exposed to the truth on like how bad it, terrible it is for some of these people is not going to win you a, a you know a seat in in parliament. Mm. You know, it's not going to get you your government in the job it needs to to where you are successful. Mm-hmm. So you focus on bigger things that affect more people, and uh, it's unfortunate that some of these people get caught um, or get lost in in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you and I can personally feel the repercussions of that and see it happen from government to government. It's a really sticky situation that I have no answers to. You just literally blew my mind in the fact that I would not be where I am today if we hadn't had the government set up that we do where there were incentives from the government given to people who were struggling. Mm. If we didn't have housing commission Mm. and if we didn't have um, incentives for single parents who Mm. are struggling to make ends meet, Mm. I would not have finished primary school. Mm-hmm. My primary school was completely paid for pretty much by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have had a house to live in because we were homeless at different stages. Mm. Anyone who was earning money in the late 80s, early 90s paid for me to exist in this country. Someone at some point has helped me to continue existing in this world. Mm. That's fucking mind-blowing, man. Yeah. I'd never thought of that before. But unfortunately, these, That's people, crazy. these people don't get a nice pat on the back saying, you know, you've helped all these people and look, what you've, you've helped create this person's future and mm. they're here today because of you. No, they get told the opposite. Like, these fucking people are sucking off, you know, your hard work. Yeah. And like I said from the very beginning of this podcast, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing because I have the choice. Yeah. These people don't, never had the choice. And if we all got our choices taken away from us, it would be a, a, a terrible world to live in. If you wake up and you have your full health and the mental capacity to, to contribute to society and earn a living, then instead of seeing it as people are stealing from you, see it as I'm contributing to helping other people's lives in, in, who are in, in a place that they don't have the choice to do what I just did. 
yeah. day to day. Um, and that's why I think the perspective needs to change. Before we let you go today, is there anything that you feel we haven't touched on or any extra messages that you would like to add? Uh, yes, thanks for asking. I, uh, I've got one that's quite relevant. One of the initiatives is operate on Anzac Day. It's called the Midnight to Dawn March. So essentially we start at midnight, we march and trek through uh, you know, one of the local national parks on the coastline of the Central Coast and we finish at Terrigal Beach for the dawn service. And essentially it spawned from when I, about six years ago I was at the dawn service, it was bucketing down cats and dogs. It was just raining really heavily. Two girls were in front of me, we're all huddled in. And they said, one said to the other, whispered and said, you know, the Anzacs would have had to fight through the rain. And I just thought straight away, I can remember it as clear as day. I thought if that small sense of adversity made this day more significant to this girl, what would marching through the night in a unified voice and thought that we're raising awareness and, and money to help aid, you know, uh, servicemen and women, ex-servicemen and women and their families. And I, not only is the money that we raise goes to good things, it's also I wanted to close the gap between the ADF, the Australian Defence Force community and the civilians. I want there to be more patriotism. I want, to, I want you know, Australians to have greater respect for our... Uh, defense personnel beyond Anzac Day. We so need that here. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I literally just met a guy recently who I'd been friends with for quite a while. We'd met at a few different events and I had no idea that he was in the army. Mm. He'd done one trip over yeah. to Afghanistan, I think, or yeah. one of those countries. And he came back and he, when we met again by accident at the airport, he was a completely different person. Absolutely. He was not the person I'd met like years earlier. Yeah. But people just expect him to be okay. They're like, yeah. well, you chose to go fight. Like yeah. it's kind of this general consensus. And I'm like, this guy's literally protecting your country. Yeah. He is literally fighting for something that he, think could, he thinks could really help another country as well. And your response is to belittle that person. Yeah. The fact is they're a person that needs help. And, yeah. you know, they've been caught in a line of fire and, uh, that's what I was saying about connecting the civilian population to the defense force personnel is uh, they're not so alone when they come out because it's a very isolated feeling. Not only have you been institutionalized to feel, think, and act a certain way because you have to to survive in those, you know, that, that war environment. That's why they, they bring you up a certain way. But to also know that, like, hey, you may have not gone to war, you may have not seen this and that, but I know that your best interest at heart is for me to find my way. And too often, those two populations just don't meet in the middle. And I've had a good friend of mine, you know, end his life because he was he felt alone. And you know, whether and you know, the sad thing is that happens more regularly than we would want like to admit. Uh, I think if people knew the prevalence of suicide in the defense force. It, uh, it it would cause a lot of problems and it spark a lot of outrage from the from the community. So I feel, look, if I can't stop wars, and uh, this was a lot of the guilt that I had leaving the military, is that you know I was seeing people be maimed and disfigured and go through all this hardship coming out, and I feel like maybe if I was there, things could have changed. I took that responsibility because that's just who I am, and even though it's nonsensical. Um, and I, I, dealt, I dealt with a lot of guilt for a long time. Now, knowing that with Trek for Vets, I can do a lot more mm-hmm. for a lot of these people outside of the military. And that's my role that I want to I play. You know, I said we can make the day more significant, fit, connect the gap between the two, the two populations and um, people to give something. You know, like the, the mantra is fight your battle to help others win theirs. And in knowing that we're all doing it for these particular reasons, I just feel like that's just going to make such a large splash in, in Australia and New Zealand. And hopefully like people in America are really resonating with this as well. So there you go. Another week down and another awesome guest to have on, Andrew Papp. What an amazing human being. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. If you want to follow Andrew Papp on social media, he is Andrew underscore Papp, P-A-P. Um, otherwise, if you want to get involved with Trek for Vets, um, literally just Trek for Vets on social media, which is T-R-E-K, the number four V-E-T-S, or you can follow them online as well, um, trekforvets.com.au forward slash with all the same spelling. In 2019, One Together podcast is going to be so excited to get involved with this awesome cause. Hopefully by then we can help 
and put one of these in every state around Australia, how incredible would that be if we had something that we could actively do as a community to remind us of what our amazing soldiers have been through to create freedom in our country today. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Andrew has an amazing fitness ethic. If you want to get around him, I strongly recommend that you do. He really inspires you and motivates you to not just get healthy physically, mentally, and emotionally, but he also inspires you to connect, which is the whole point of what One Together podcast is all about. Thank you again for joining the One Movement. Get in touch via the One Together podcast at gmail.com or on my Facebook, which is literally just Heather Maltman, Malt Man, like the drink and the man. <laughs> just kind of sounds like a superhero. We also share loads of extras there, but we also share them on my Instagram page, which is Heather underscore Malt Man. If you have a story to share or would like to ask a question, we love hearing from you. So please send us an email or get on touch on the socials. This is the One Together podcast reminding you that one is in fact not the loneliest number. I'm Heather Maltman. We'll talk to you again at 3pm on Monday. But until then, love hard, respect much, and always pay it forward. Massive thank you to Cell, Miles, and all the team at Hype Group. This is a business that leverage high quality content on digital channels and marketing to create relevant hype. Basically, if you have a business that needs leveraging high quality content like One Together Podcast did, then these are the guys to see. They did all of our logos and they're awesome. So here at the One Together Podcast, we love them. They rule. Head to their website, hypegroup.co, info at hypegroup.co, or their number is 0407 596 598. And we will catch you around like a donut. Oh, yeah.